Welcome to Be Set Free, the radio outreach of Whitefields Community Church in Longmont, Colorado. Be Set Free features the teaching ministry of Pastor Nick Cady. Pastor Nick's desire is to bring the gospel into our lives so we can experience the joy and freedom that can only be found through Jesus. Today's message comes from our series, Counterculture, a study of the Sermon on the Mount. Here's Pastor Nick. Isaiah's tone completely changes. And suddenly he stops saying, woe to you. And he starts saying, woe is me. Woe is me is what he says, for I am lost. I am a man of unclean lips. I dwell amongst a people of unclean lips. I am lost. When Isaiah got a glimpse of God, he immediately realized his own spiritual poverty, that he's got nothing to offer. He's he's got nothing to put on the table instead of saying woe to you now he stops saying that and he says you know what woe is me and that's what it looks like to recognize and realize your spiritual poverty and that is the first step Jesus says that is the first step to becoming actually happy to acknowledge before God that you are spiritually broke verse 4 oh how happy are those who mourn for they shall be comforted Oh, how happy are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Now, that doesn't that sound like a contradiction of terms? I mean, how can you be happy and mourn at the same time? But what you need to understand about the Sermon on the Mount, especially the Beatitudes right here, is that they represent a progression. See, they, they all go together and they form a progression. I'm going to show you that as we go along. The first step that Jesus gives to finding true happiness is recognizing and acknowledging your spiritual poverty. But he says, don't stop there. It doesn't stop there. The next step, once you've come to terms with your spiritual condition, is to mourn over that condition, to be grieved over it, to weep over it. It's one thing, you see, to acknowledge that you are spiritually poor, but it's another thing altogether to be grieved over it, to mourn over that condition. You see, that's the difference between confession and contrition. You guys all know that when somebody has hurt you, it's one thing if they admit that what they did was wrong, but it's another thing altogether if you can see that they feel, they they feel that contrition over it, so that they weep over it, that they're grieved by it. You see, the word that Jesus used here, it doesn't mean to just be a little bit sad, like, bummer, right? It, it's, it means to be deeply grieved. Paul the Apostle, he says this in 2 Corinthians. He says, godly sorrow produces a repentance that leads to salvation. That's what we're talking about here. You see, it's when you realize and recognize that you're spiritually bankrupt, that you're a sinner, and you mourn over that. You weep over that, and you repent. That is when God comes to you and says, I forgive you. You see, happy are those who mourn because they will be comforted. They will be comforted by the only comfort that can truly relieve that distress, the forgiveness and the grace of God. In Luke chapter 7, we read, about an occasion when Jesus was invited to somebody's house for dinner. And the man who invited him for dinner was a well-known man in high standing. He was a very religious man. And while they're eating dinner, right, probably with a group of people, uh, this man's friends, this woman comes knocking on the door and just comes right in, it seems. And she was a known prostitute. Like, people knew who this woman was. She was known in town as a prostitute. She comes in, she interrupts their meal, 
and she bows down at Jesus' feet and just starts weeping. I mean, imagine if you're having dinner with some friends or even some, you know, high-level people in society or something, your boss, and, and this woman comes in who's a prostitute and just starts weeping all over your feet. And the people, uh, you know, it says that she was weeping and then with her tears, as her tears fell on Jesus' feet, she wiped the, the dust off his feet with the tears. She washed his feet with her tears. And the people there sitting at the table with Jesus, they say, you know, Jesus, if you were really a prophet of God, you would know that this woman is a sinner. And then Jesus did something interesting. He turned to the woman. He didn't even address those people who talked to him. He just ignored what they said. He turns to the woman and he says, your sins are forgiven. And then he turns to those people he was eating dinner with who looked down on that woman, right? And he said, you know what? It's those who have been forgiven much who love much. You see, the difference between that woman and those men was that that woman realized that she was a sinner. She acknowledged that she was spiritually poor and she was grieved by it. She was grieved over her sin. She wept over them. And as a result, she was comforted with the comfort of forgiveness. The next verse, verse 5, it says, Oh, how happy are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Oh, how happy are the meek, You see, once you recognize your spiritual poverty and you mourn over it and you repent of your sins and you receive the comfort that comes from being forgiven by God, the next step in this path to happiness is meekness. Again, this is completely countercultural, right? This is the opposite of what anyone would expect or think. This is the opposite of what you're going to get in a self-help tape. We would never think that the meek will inherit the earth. Instead, we generally think that the meek get nowhere, nice guys finish last, it's the tough, it's the overbearing, it's the pushy who succeed in this world. But Jesus says no. The next step to happiness, once you've recognized your spiritual poverty and mourned over it and you've been comforted by the comfort of forgiveness, the next step to true happiness is meekness. Now, let me explain what meekness is because I think that meekness, meek, the word meek is one of the most uh, misunderstood words in our language. We generally equate meekness with weakness or passivity or letting people walk on you or trample you, but that's not what meekness is all about. See, meekness should be thought of in these terms. It's power under control. And the best picture of meekness would be like a horse. If you ever stood next to a horse, they just have these gigantic muscles. They're amazing. And a horse, though, that horses learn to keep their power under control and submit to a master and use their power in the right ways. So that horse that has learned to take instruction from his master and he's learned to the discipline of bringing his great power under control, that's what it means to be meek. So what does it mean for you and me to be meek? Interestingly, one of the only autobiographical statements that Jesus makes to describe his own character is he says, I am meek. Now think about that. Here's Jesus, God of the universe. It tells us several times in the Bible that Jesus, through him, all things were created. And he's the creator of all things. He's the God of the universe. And he brings that great power under control. He brings it in submission to his Father. And he uses it in ways that were in accordance with the Father's heart and the Father's mission. He's the ultimate example of meekness. He may have been gentle towards people who are broken, gentle towards children, but it certainly wasn't out of weakness. That was power under control, brought under submission to the Father. 
So what does it mean for us to be meek? What it means is this. It means bringing our whole lives, all of ourselves, under the control of God. Like a horse to its master. We choose not just to do our own thing and just romp around, but we bring our lives into submission to God and we make him our master. We bring our strength and our minds and our entire being under submission to him. A life submitted to God. That's the third step on this road to happiness. Verse 6. Oh, how happy are those who hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. What are the things that you see people around you hungering and thirsting after? I see people hungering and thirsting after power, authority, recognition, success, comfort, personal fulfillment. But Jesus says the path to true happiness is to hunger and thirst after righteousness. To pursue it like a starving person looking for food. Like a thirsty person who needs something to drink and they can't think about anything else. You're on a quest, right? You're pursuing it, pursuing righteousness, seeking after that which is pure, seeking after that which is right, that which is true. If you want to be truly happy, Jesus says, then hunger and thirst after these things. Passionately pursue truth. Passionately pursue righteousness. And bringing your life, after you bring your life into submission to God, the next step that leads to true happiness is passionately pursuing truth and righteousness. You know, there's this interesting verse that I've always found interesting in Hebrews chapter 1, where it's speaking about Jesus, and it says this. You, speaking to Jesus, says, You have loved righteousness and hated wickedness. Therefore, God, your God, has anointed you with the oil of gladness above all your companions. What's that saying? It's saying this, that Jesus was the happiest person around. He was the happiest person who ever lived, the happiest guy on the block. And why was that so? Why was he the happiest one? Here's why. Because he loved righteousness and hated wickedness. You see, there's a major correlation there between holiness and happiness. And I always like to put it this way, that holiness leads to happiness. Why does God want us to be holy? It's because God loves us and wants us to be happy. And holiness leads to happiness. You see, holiness, a lot of people think, okay, what is holiness? It's the absence of that which is wrong. No, I would say, don't think of it as absence. Seriously, think, holiness indicates substance. You know that? It is the substance that you long for, that I long for. It's the substance of that which is good and right and true. It's reality. That's what we long for. We long for that substance of holiness the substance of truth, the substance of that which is right. I believe that all people innately have a hunger and thirst inside of them for that. But you know what happens? Is that that hunger and thirst for substance and truth and rightness, just like physical hunger, that hunger can easily be suppressed by other things. For example, my wife is a good cook. She's a, I I love to eat her food and she cooks very healthy. And uh, she's great at it. But imagine this, if imagine one day I'm on my way home and I decide to stop at the gas station. I'm stopping at the gas station and I just load up on jelly beans and Red Bull, right? Just packing it in. Hostess cupcakes, nacho cheese sauce, I'm just drinking it out of those little plastic cups, you know? And then guess what happens? After I do that for a while, I'm no longer hungry. 
I'm no longer thirsty. My pain, my hunger pains are gone. My thirst is quenched. But guess what? It's my hunger for which was for natural hunger for good substantial things has been suppressed because I filled it all up with junk. And I no longer feel the hunger pains. I no longer feel the thirst. But it's not because I took in substance that my body was craving. It's because I suppressed my natural desire with a bunch of junk. Now, deep down, I believe that every person desires the substance of truth and rightness. You've been listening to a message by Pastor Nick Cady of Whitefields Community Church in Longmont, Colorado. We'll get back to the remainder of this message in a moment. We are open for in-person worship on Sunday mornings with services at 8, 9.30, and 11 a.m. Come grow with us on Sunday mornings, online or in person at 8, 9.30, and 11 a.m. Now, back to Pastor Nick with the remainder of today's message. Most people end up suppressing those desires by hungering and thirsting after other things which are like junk food, right? Things which will suppress your hunger pains for a moment, but they will never fulfill, and ultimately they just leave you really unhealthy, right? So true happiness is found in first submitting your life to God and then pursuing truth and righteousness. Pursuing truth by knowing God and knowing his word and pursuing righteousness, seeking to be righteous like God is righteous and seeking to do righteousness in our lives and in our actions. Happy is the person who pursues those things because that is the person who will be satisfied both now and for eternity. Verse seven. Oh, how happy are the merciful for they shall receive mercy. You know, once you recognize that you're spiritually bankrupt and you experience the comfort of having your sins forgiven and you give your life over to God and make him Lord of your life and you begin to hunger and thirst after righteousness, you cannot help but become merciful towards other people because you understand that you have received mercy from God. And you're no longer finding your happiness in the fact that you think you're better than other people but you begin to find happiness and joy in dishing out mercy and grace to other people because you understand that God has given you so much mercy and grace yourself. You know, several times in the Gospels, Jesus says something along these lines. He says it a few different ways, but here's what he says. He says, regarding mercy, with the same measure that you use, it will be measured unto you. The same measure that you measure unto others, it will be measured unto you. And he's speaking about mercy. Now, I like to think of it like an ice cream scooper, right? Like a big, you got different sizes of ice cream scoopers. And God says, you know, you, you pick. You pick the ice cream scooper that you're going to use in serving other people. And then I'll use the same scoop with you. Right? That's kind of what he's saying. He says, go ahead and pick. We've got all these different sizes, from the littlest ones to big giant scoopers. I'll let you choose. But whichever one you choose, I'm going to use that same one for you, Okay? In other words, if you, if you want to use the little scooper with other people and how you dish out mercy and grace, then, then I'll use that little scooper with you too, says God. But if you want me to use the big scoop for you, then I expect you to use the big scoop when, in your dealings with other people as well. So happy is the person who is generous in dishing out mercy and grace to others, who uses the big scoop because God has used the big scoop with you. Verse 8. Oh, how happy are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. 
To be pure in heart means to be free from malice, free from guile. It means to be a person of integrity, not sneaky, not having ulterior motives, but being pure, being straightforward. This is part of the work that God does inside a person who first acknowledges their spiritual poverty and weeps over it and receives the comfort of forgiveness and submits their life to God and pursues truth and righteousness and shows mercy to others. God begins to work in that person's life and begins to change their heart and begins to cleanse them and purify them. The theological word we use for this is sanctification. It's the process of God going into your heart life and just rotorootering it, right? Like cleaning house and doing work from the inside out and changing you from the inside out. So happy is the person who's pure of heart, who's cleansed and made pure by God. They will see God. They will have an increased ability to recognize God and his handiwork in nature, in his word. And of course, one day they will get to see him face to face. Verse 9, we read, Oh, how happy are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. One of the final steps here towards being truly happy is to get involved in God's work. You see that the work that God is doing is ultimately a work of reconciliation, of making peace. Paul the Apostle, he says in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, he says that Jesus came to reconcile all things to himself in Christ. He came to reconcile, to make peace between man and God, between men and men and women and women where there's been division caused by sin. Jesus came to reconcile. And so we too, we will find true happiness when we become agents of God's reconciliation. Peacemakers, where we make peace, where sin has caused strife and division. We help people make peace with each other and ultimately we help people make peace with God. And when we do that, we will be called sons of God because then we are taking part in the same work that the Son of God came to take part in, to tear down the walls of division between God and man, between different races and nations, between different economic classes and peoples. Ultimately, God is going to establish a kingdom of righteousness and peace. And here's the deal. He's invited us to be part of that work. He's given us, 2 Corinthians says, the ministry of reconciliation. He's made us his ambassadors and agents of reconciliation in the world. So, oh, how happy is the person who pours out their life, their time, and their resources. They focus their activity to actively take part in the work of God in the world. You know, so many people think that true happiness is found in spending more time, uh, spending their time, spending more money, more vacations, uh, doing more stuff for themselves, more vacations, more trinkets, more gadgets, more hobbies. But Jesus says, no, this is where you find true happiness. Here's the way. Pour out your life. Pour out your life for something that matters. Pour out your life. Devote yourself to the work of God, just like the Son of God poured out his life for you. That's where true happiness is found. And we end the Beatitudes here in verse 11 and 12. Oh, how happy are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward in heaven is great, for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. You know, the greatest insult that you should ever be able to give a Christian would be to say, 
you know what? You're no different than anybody else. That should be the greatest insult that you could ever give a Christian because that is inherently what it means to be a Christian. It means to be utterly different. It means to live with a different agenda, seeking after a different kingdom than, than everybody else in this world. To live differently in a very countercultural way because you're on a completely different track. And if you live that way, Jesus says, it is inevitable. You will stick out. You will be different. People may revile you for it. They may not like it. They may make false accusations against you. But if they do, you know what? Rejoice. Be happy because you're in good company. You know, any dead fish can flow downstream. Any dead fish can go with the flow. But it takes a live one to swim against the stream. And sometimes when you go against the current and you swim against the stream, you're going to get some resistance. That's normal, actually. If you don't get any resistance for the way that you live as a follower of Jesus, then that should be a red flag to you. That should be a warning. Maybe you're not doing it right, you know? Maybe something's up. Maybe you're actually just kind of going with the flow and not actually going against the current. Maybe you're not actually following Jesus in a way that's countercultural. We, we're going to continue this study next week, so we're going to leave off here. But you need to know this, that this, this thing that we just studied, these happy sayings, the Beatitudes, this is the foundation of all of Jesus' teaching. This is the foundation of Jesus' teaching. It's also the foundation of biblical teaching, summed up in a very few short sentences, just packed with meaning. I could have gone into so much more about each of these. But you need to understand, this is how to be happy, truly happy, in the way that your heart longs to be happy, in the truest sense of happiness. It begins with acknowledging that you are spiritually bankrupt. And then mourning over it and grieving over your sinful condition so that you can be comforted by receiving God's forgiveness of your sins. And once you've been forgiven, you don't stop there. You bring your whole life into submission to God. You make him your Lord. And, and then you pursue wholeheartedly truth and righteousness. And God begins to cleanse your life. You show mercy to others. God cleanses your life from the inside out. Increasingly, you're a different person. You're a changed person because God's been working in your heart. And then you dedicate your life to his work, to joining him on his mission. And if people don't get it, or they give you a hard time about it, or you experience resistance because it's so countercultural the way you're living, well, you take that with a grain of salt. In fact, you're not surprised by it. In fact, you expect it. And if it doesn't happen, then that's a red flag to you that you're not doing it right, right? And maybe you're not actually living counterculturally according to Jesus' countercultural kingdom that you're called to be a part of. If you are living that way, it will stand out. So let me just ask you this in closing. Where are you in this progression that we looked at today? Now, some of you are here today, and I would gather that maybe you're right at the beginning. Like, you're still at the point where you need to recognize that you're spiritually bankrupt. You haven't even taken that step yet. Others of you, you might be farther along. But let me encourage you today. This is the path to true happiness, and follow it all the way, and you will find true happiness. This is the foundation of the gospel of the kingdom which Jesus preached. That you cannot save yourself, that you are spiritually bankrupt, but in spite of that, God loves you more than you can even imagine. And if you will come to him and you will let him do his work in your life, he will make you into a new person, he'll give you a new life, and he'll lead you in a way that is true, lasting happiness, which no one can ever take away from you. True happiness, which is for this life 
and for the life to come. So let me ask you this. Will you come to him today and follow him down that path to true happiness? Lord, we thank you that you love us so much that you want us to know true happiness. Lord, we see as we look at this, Lord, the the plan for true happiness that you lay out is so different than that which which is common to our culture and our society. And Lord, we want to say, we've tried that one. We've seen other people try it. We realize how bankrupt that is, how, how it doesn't work, how it leaves people empty. It promises so much, but it doesn't deliver. But Lord, we see your way. It's different. It's countercultural. And Lord, we want to walk in that way. So Lord, would you make us people like you as you describe yourself here in this text? Lord, would you make us like you? Would, it, would you help us to acknowledge where we stand before you and grieve and mourn over it and give our lives to you? Lord, I pray for everybody here. Each of us are probably at different spots along this progression. Lord, I pray that we would make the next step and that we'd find true life and true happiness in you. And I pray that in Jesus' name. You've been listening to Be Set Free, the radio outreach of Whitefields Community Church in Longmont, Colorado. We have three in-person services on Sunday mornings at 8, 9.30, and 11 a.m. And our 9.30 and 11 services are live-streamed on our website for those who would like to worship with us online. We are located just east of County Line Road and Highway 119 at 2950 Colorful Avenue in Longmont. For more information or to hear other messages from Pastor Nick, visit us online at whitefieldschurch.com. Be Set Free is a listener-supported program. If you have been blessed by this message and would like to support this ministry, you can send a donation via check to 2950 Colorful Avenue, Longmont, Colorado, 80504, or donate online at besetfreeradio.com.